everyone, and welcome to our first episode of the new quarter for Word on the Street. Um, my name is Anissa Crow. I am one of the hosts, and I will now give it off to my other co-host. Yes. Hello, everyone. I am Omar. I am the co-host of the Word on the Street podcast, a podcast here out of the Office of Multicultural Learning at Santa Clara University, where we explore just a variety of topics that I don't know how to fully explain. So you can just uh, watch slash listen to our previous episodes to get an idea of what we talk about. Um, and for today, Anissa, I'm very excited. We're talking about one of my newest favorite movies, honestly, from Disney, Encanto. Um, very, very excited to talk about this movie. Yes, and we have some lovely guests with us here today. Um, before we get into introducing everybody, I first want to talk about Encanto and share the tagline of the movie because I find this to be kind of funny because it's one sentence long. Of course, it's a tagline. Uh, and the synopsis, it is, uh, a young Colombian girl has to face frustration of being the only member of her family without magical powers. That's how they summarize the movie. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get into oh more about what the movie's about and more of the themes that we saw as we each uh, individually watched it. So first, I'm going to hand it off to our first guest, Evelyn. Go ahead and share Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Hi, everyone. My name is Evelyn. I'm currently a senior here at Santa Clara University, double majoring in political science and ethnic studies with a minor women and gender studies. And apart from that, I'm also a first-generation college student, so I am part of the LEAD Scholars Program here. And apart from that, um, both of my parents are immigrants from Mexico, and so not only am I a first-generation college student, but I'm also a first-generation citizen. And so that's a little bit about me. Um, anyone else can go after and introduce themselves. Hi guys, I'm Evelyn. Everyone calls me Josie though. Um, I'm a psych sociology double major as well. I'm a junior and also part of the Lead Scholars program as first gen. Similar to Evelyn, basically everything. My parents um, immigrated from Mexico and yeah. You wanna go next, Antonio? Yeah. Um, hi everyone, I'm Antonio. I'm a junior here at Santa Clara. I'm double majoring in management and environmental studies. Um, I'm Colombian. I was born in Bogota and my family is all Colombian. We've uh, like immigrated a long time ago, many generations back to Colombia. Um, I was born in Bogota, but then I moved away very young to Mexico City when I was like three years old and I was raised there for most of my life. Um, I also lived in Indonesia and then I immigrated to the U.S. I've only lived here for five years, so I'm not a U.S. citizen, um, but yeah, I'm very excited to talk about this movie. I really liked it a lot. All right, thank you all for joining us today. I love when we have guests, and especially to share something about uh, their background and how they connected to a film like this. Uh, one of our first episodes from last year, or last quarter, yeah, technically last year, uh, we talked about representation in film and movies for specifically uh, BIPOC individuals and LGBT plus identifying individuals. Uh, and it is kind of nice to come back and start the new quarter with, again, a topic of representation and uh, maybe a more positive one this time, because that first one was real negative. <laughs> and so I just want to kick it off and just whoever would like to talk about their um 
first initial reactions to the movie like maybe when trailer came out what were you thinking before it came out and then also what you liked and maybe disliked about the film as well so i'm going to hand it off to whoever would like to speak go ahead and just jump on it how about i kick things off um, <laughs> thank you quick, just to, to kind of talk about my my first impression so i actually um saw it in the theaters uh with a few friends um and i think that was i i don't know if i would say a better experience but i think it, it definitely would change how i view the movie if i had just watched it when it came out on disney plus on christmas because in the theater there was also um one of the famous disney shorts um titled far from the tree which was also a, a little bit about um, generational trauma, which also shows up in Encanto. And so it was very just fascinating to see, because it was like, first it was a, a sucker punch to the gut with the little short about these two raccoons, um, or this family of raccoons, I should say. And then heading over to Encanto, which is like an even bigger sucker punch, because then it's like the family's extended, the expectations, are like tenfold, you know, mental health is running rampant and everything. Um, but I personally, I think it is becoming one of my, like, or not one of, like probably my favorite Disney movie up till now, just because of, um, I think the, the fantastic representation. I myself am not Colombian, but I am Latino, so I know that a lot of the themes um, present in the movie are honestly just present in a lot of real life Latino communities. Um, and so, or Latine, I should say, Latina communities. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I just very, very liked a lot of kind of minor details. One thing for me that I very, very much enjoyed, which a lot of people are kind of like, wow, um, is the lack of machismo or just the lack of, you know, abusive, negligent fathers, because um, we have Felix and Agustin, um, which are just honestly, in my, in my mind, icons, like top 10, I aspire to be like them when I grow up, you know? Um, because it's, it's rare, um, kind of, again, speaking a little bit to our past episode on representation in media, it's always kind of been, you know, the absent father figure, very negligent or very, you know, angry, macho, abusive, like just a bunch of things that are never really put in a positive light. And I just very, very much enjoy um, that the movie, like, actually portrayed them you know, in, in a way that wasn't like that. It felt very, very refreshing to me. Something that just sparked in my mind when you were talking, Omar, was how in the film, Luisa is the one with, like, the powerful, like, she's the power one. Like, she's the strong one. And it, it's interesting because you would have, like, within Latine communities, you would have assumed that it would have been gone to, like, a male character like Camilo, but Camilo's gift is like shape-shifting and like making people laugh so that's just something that caught my attention and that I didn't think about it previously was that like they gave that strong power to Luisa instead. Um, actually kind of building off of that I did notice that too I actually recently read an article that talks about how that song is kind of a, a love letter to Lynn, Lynn's older sister and how she like kind of helped like dealt with a lot of things so that he wouldn't have to because he was his, uh well she was the she was the oldest 
but I also think that it's really cool because it reflects on a part of like Latin culture, like one of Latina culture that it, I think is like very ignored, which is kind of the role of like older sisters in Latina families. And it's crazy. I read this article. Well, I read, I did a lot of readings from Ansaldua in this other class that I took a couple quarters ago. And one of them just really talks about like the disparity within the Latin family of how like men are treated and how women are treated and how so much of like the responsibility is placed on older sisters and i think that that is like super reflective and something that really doesn't appear a lot in movies so i, re I really appreciated that part specifically that you mentioned Evelyn. i think we lost jocelyn i don't remember if she had to leave early or not but either way just going back to the oldest sister and like that role that we see in Luisa and Isabella. Um, so I am the oldest sister. I am the oldest in my family uh, of a Latinx background, specifically Mexican. Um, I'm actually mixed. So uh, my dad is where I get my Mexican side and my mom is Portuguese and Irish. But um, <clears throat> it's like before the movie even came out or I didn't get to watch it in theaters, but my sister did. And she just kept sending me repeatedly on TikTok or just the song individually of Surface Pressure, the one that Luisa sings. And every time it would just bring me to tears because I was like, this was how I felt growing up as the oldest child, having all these pressures, having to um, face all these things and not look like you're being weak, not, not look like you're you can't handle it because what are you going to do if you can't you're the, supposed to be the backbone you're supposed to take care of everybody so that Luis's character in that way spoke to me a lot in that song i i can hear one line from it and start tearing up and i can't and i it just it the fact that my youngest sibling my sister was the one sending it to me so she is my mirabel I would have been, I, I could not stop crying. So when I finally watched the movie, I was like, you have to stop doing this. I am going to mentally break. This movie is beautiful. Please stop sending me that song. It hurts my feelings. That is so interesting. I am actually the middle child, but my older sister, she, you know, she hasn't really been, she's not really attached to her family and she's kind of done her own things. And so um, although I'm not the oldest, I've taken up the responsibility of being the oldest in my family because I have a younger sibling. So like I'm the first ever in my family in my family to go to college. And so that sets up a different expectation in the household because your parents are like expecting you or not expecting you, but they're um, really relying on you. And another thing too is like I come from a low socioeconomic status. So growing up, I had to work very young at the age of 13 and 14 to like start like helping my mother who like at that time became single and I had to like start picking up things so like a lot of it too is like doesn't necessarily have to be the oldest sibling but the one that like takes the responsibility when other siblings kind of decide to wander off and do their own things and so I felt myself being torn between like relating to Luisa and also Isabella I feel like Isabella's character at first I'm not gonna lie I did not like her because I was like oh she's like supposed to be the perfect one like uh, whatever but when I like started like really thinking about it and like I've watched Income like so many times so like each time that I watch it it's like a different perspective that I have of Isabella and I think it's just, you know, she's expected to be perfect and she's always expected to be like very feminine and floral. And um, she's expected to marry this guy that she doesn't actually want to marry. So like it just, um, it's interesting because 
Luisa supposed to like is the oldest and they're supposed to like carry like the burdens and like handle all of that whereas Isabella is still designated as like the perfect token child so this is actually really interesting actually Isabella is the oldest one I I was looking wait is she article. yeah I was what? looking at this article um because I, I was like just thinking about the timeline, how it's like you get the door at five years old and then flash forward, like yada yada. Um, but most of these characters, like I think especially the grandchildren, are really young. I thought they were all like much older, but I think it was like Isabella is 21 years old, so is Dolores. So those two are the oldest. Then it's followed by um by Luisa, who is barely 19, and, like, that was shocking to me. I was like, she's doing so much already. And then it's followed by both uh, Camilo and Mirabel being 15 years old. I really thought that, like, Mirabel was at least, like, 18, and, like, just shocking to find out. And then finally, of course, Antonio is um, five years old because that's when he's getting his good. So yeah, Isabella is the oldest one. And I, I was like, I was shocked because I really thought Luisa was- Luisa because like even in like their family yeah. portraits too, it's like Luisa's the first one and then Isabella in the middle and then Mirabel. So that's why I was like confused about that. But that's so interesting. Yeah, going in, I also thought the same thing. I thought Luisa was the oldest. And in like it- it matters, but it doesn't in the way that because as the oldest sibling, I connected her character the most, but also I'm doing a timeline now. So Bruno was gone for a decade or he wasn't gone. He was in the house. <laughs> he was living in the walls. That makes you, I, cause I don't, cause now that Omar has said the ages, I didn't know everybody's ages. So I just was like, ah, oh, maybe it's only been like, five or something um, definitely not five but trying to figure out the timeline of how long he was living in the wall with the rats and of course that is why he made amazing telenovelas with the, <laughs> with the rats so yeah just thinking of that timeline too and just like those it kind of makes more sense to me that Mirabel is uh, and Camilo are 15 because it kind of matches that developmental like uh like okay so also I'm a psychology ma major in undergrad I'm currently a grad student uh, studying counseling psychology but um her age and mindset is when you're a teenager it's very um individualized so she only sees the world and only how she is affected in it so it makes sense now in addition to like being uh a part of that next culture and like not really like knowing what your older siblings are doing but also just like not being focused enough to reach your brain into other people's worldview and how your family works in that way i like how you brought up that point because i remember how after bruno had like his second vision me and Bella went to go hug isabella and she was just doing that because like she saw it already happening like she knew she had to do it in regards to like um keeping el encanto alive but then when she goes, she has like this unexpected conversation with Isabella about like how she's like positioned as like the perfect golden child. And then like that kind of reminded me of that, how like at first Mirabella was going for like the interest of like saving herself and saving the Encanto and saving the family. But then she left with the realization of like knowing her sister at a more deeper level.
Yeah, I agree. Thank you, Elvin. Jocelyn, is there anything that you would like to add about it? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, but what you were saying about like the psych thing, I was going to say something earlier, kind of psyche, and I didn't want to like do anything. But how Luisa was like the old was not apparently the oldest child Isabella was, but sometimes it doesn't really matter like biologically what age you are, it matters like socially. So if your oldest sibling is not there, and like how you were saying, Evelyn, too, if your oldest sibling isn't there, basically the responsibilities of the oldest sibling and like that role of basically being more responsible and being more of like um, kind of a parent falls onto the next sibling. So basically the sibling that is there and has like the most responsibility and strength and stuff. It's more of a social thing, not really about age. So I thought that was interesting because I also thought Luisa was um, the oldest one, but yeah. That um, actually brings up a very interesting, um, I don't know if I call it like a topic, but just a very interesting idea um, from the movie, like kind of speaking about social expectations and stuff like that. Um, because the thing that I, I was thinking about, and I, <laughs> TikTok, I, I saw a TikTok about this, and it just like, it sent me spiraling, um, was essentially about how, you know, in the little village that, you know, everyone's living in, in the movie, the Madrigal family is essentially royalty, because um, like, they are the ones that hold the power. Um, they're the ones that hold the candle, that, you know, holds the miracle, that, you know, made the entire thing possible. And then also, all of the powers are, like, handed down through, through generations, because we see, you know, the triplets get it, and then their children get it, and so it's, like, it's passed down. And then, like, with Isabela, who's supposed to marry Mariano, um, Abuela is constantly talking about like oh so good for the encanto like so many good like new gifts new grandbabies and stuff like that um so yeah i don't know where i was going with this but i just thought it was very like interesting to know um and then also one one question as well kind of thinking on that for you all i've also noticed within the movie and the the like hundreds of times that i've <laughs> watched it up to this point um that there is a lot of emphasis on the family as its own entity. So it's like, even when Abuela talks, um, like, oh, so good for the family. Like, I was thinking of the family. Like, you should have thought about the family. Like, the family as a whole is seen as its own character. So I was wondering if, if like, you all think that that is true in real life, or if that's just, like, an exaggerated portion because like whenever abuela talks about it she's not talking about herself like she is legitimately thinking about everyone in her family but collectively not individually which i found really just fascinating to think about i don't know <laughs> yeah just to like talk about that i feel like she also saw her family very much as like community leaders and she was always emphasizing the community like we have to be strong for our encanto for our community and so she probably saw them like not solely as just her family, but made it more, uh, I guess she expanded it to mean all of Encanto, you know, the whole everything. And that just put less emphasis on like uh, the family members individually. 
which is why she didn't see like the problems, the internal like conflicts that were going on. That's a really good point that you raise up because I know there's like one like really small scene in the movie where they're like trying to decide what to do with Antonio's gift. They're like, oh, what is now he gonna do for like the community? So I really do believe that, yeah, like a lot of it just comes from Abuela like having to run away and like having to go through all that trauma. And so she really wants to just like do everything she can to like help her community, like help everybody. And I do think that's very true to Latinx communities. I know for me, I like a lot of what I'm doing is for my community. Like not only am I a college student, but I'm also involved heavily, like doing a lot of things on campus because I'm doing it for the well-being of the community and just the um in that aspect. But also like when I came to college, I felt really guilty being here because I, I felt like I should have been at home like helping my family as I've done all my life. And so I think that's a lot of things that a lot of other students or friends that I come across like resonate with, like feeling that guilt of leaving home and like having to abandon your family in the sake of um, receiving education and all those things. Um, I know for me, like growing up, like I was always like one of the child caretakers in my family. So I was always taking care of my siblings. And so when I left to college, I just was like, who's gonna take care of them now? Like, is my mom going to be able to afford these things on her own? Like, is this going to like, and I think that's very true to the movie because they're always thinking of their family before themselves. Yeah, I mean, from personal experience, I think, I definitely think it's true in real life. Personally, with my family in Colombia, like there's kind of a big line that divides my dad's side and my mom's side. But obviously that doesn't like work in the movie just because that like, because Abuela ran away and they don't have anything else and so they're able to like kind of put everything they have into this one unit to be able to grow it and I think there's also like a huge pressure on top of Abuela because it's it's like a pressure that she maybe I don't know if she puts it on herself but like over time it's kind of been put on her because you know they protect everybody who lives there in an encanto and they don't want to let them down and they don't want to like appear wrong and it's kind of in that royal thing that Omar mentioned but I feel like if maybe we did something that in Latina communities we kind of need is to like kind of forgive ourselves and see ourselves as more human then what would end up happening is what ended up happening in the at the end of the movie which was you know instead of people being like oh my god you're actually not like these gods and you're just regular people like they're not going to think that you're bad they're going to come in and help you just like the freaking village help them rebuild their whole house you know like I don't know just something that I think we should change in the community I guess. I think something else to note is that we do live in a capitalistic society and so a lot of our value doesn't come from our own individuality it comes from like what we produce like I feel like in my family like I'm known as like the person that's going to college and stuff like that's where my value comes from my value doesn't come from like oh Evelyn like she's like this is her personality like no I'm not known as that I'm just known for what I produce so I feel like that's something to that take into consideration is that we do live in a capitalistic society Adding to that, I wonder as well, um, like thinking both of the, the capitalistic society and then also uh, like the community coming to help in, if the Madrigal family had like internalized that they are the ones with the role to help other people, that they have become basically reluctant to ask for help from others. Because I know like that has kind of been the case for me um, in that like I, I'm kind of been, you know, known in the family as well, similar to Evelyn of like, 
oh, he's going to college. He's going to college, like, out of state as well. Like, he's doing big things, yada, yada. Like, wow, so strong. Um, but then it's like, you get here, and then I'm just like, besties, I'm struggling. <laughs> like, it's constantly an uphill battle, you know? Um, but also, it's like, I, I have personally, you know, internalized of, like, I don't like to ask for help because I have now personally just prided myself on being able to do things on my own because it's like for majority of what I've done up till now like it, it's mainly been me I've had a ton of support which it's like I'm realizing more and more each day um but yeah I don't know because it's it's very telling in the movie because all of the family is honestly just very like shocked that you know every like anyone would be willing to help kind of similar to what Antonio was saying so it's like again I don't know where I was going with this but I just I find it shocking that it's like these are you know th these are some of the small details that you don't notice first on or like if you're not fully part of the community or have these experiences you could say yeah uh so two things that came to mind Justin, do you want to go first no, you go ahead first. I'll go. Okay. Uh, one, I was going to point, yes, uh, capitalism, especially in America, and, and like trying to like fit those roles monetarily. Uh, so I also connected in the way that I was the one that they pushed to go to school. Like, oh, okay, you, you got it. And my parents used to joke that, uh, oh, yeah, this is going to go off to school. She's going to get a j good job. And then she's going to take care of us. <laughs> we don't have to worry about it. She's the child that's going to make us money. And I was like, I'm going into counseling. I'm not making anybody money. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, I'm going to help my community, but I'm also, like, I'm not going to be there in that financial way. But also, like, just going off of uh, what was brought up and internalizing that I don't need help because I have to help others is, one, probably the biggest reason that I went into psychology and I'm doing the field that I'm doing now but two uh, is something that we even get to see like in a very like minor way when Louisa starts losing her powers and uh, they're there for the proposal and they say, oh, how about some music? And then she starts like getting teary-eyed, like I'll go get the piano, like it's okay. And you just see her pushing. She has nothing left to give and yet she still has to keep pushing on because she can't let anybody down. It's just that internalized, I can't ask for help, like, hey, can you help me pick up the piano? My power isn't working right now because you can't, you can't say what's going on internally. Otherwise, that may reflect badly on you, your family, and, like, just prove that you, uh, that is her whole self-worth is literally the line of the song. Pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. That's the line. But, uh, just like that, that echoing, like a, a topic that we're all bringing up is like that image of self-worth and like, I can't do this if I'm not helping everybody and I can't let anybody know that I'm not doing so great right now because of how that will affect everybody. Anyways, I will get off my tangent and hand it back to Jocelyn. I was going to say something along like the similar lines, like uh, the reason the Madrigal family was so like surprised when the town came was because they lost their powers and they were like okay so pretty much like kind of echoing like Luisa's own thing like I'm worthless if I can't be of service and so they were like really surprised but at the end of the day I feel like 
if you build enough of a strong community and supportive community, then like any times that you can't produce whatever, whether that's like uh, your normal, like happy personality or like uh, actual things like helping people, then like your community can step up, you know? And I feel like that's such an important part of like families, like teaching each other that your worth isn't in like what you can produce and like what you can be on some days and on other days. Like it's just having to teach that. And that's just like not emphasized today. And I wonder if there's like any other countries or anything that could like that emphasize like individual traits or like individual worth and all that. It just seems so rare. Um, I guess if we're kind of on the end of this train, I kind of wanted to pivot to some other things that I really wanted to mention about the movie that I think were really good. Unless people want to continue on this, I'm more than fine continuing. Okay. Um, I, know, I kind of went in to the movie with like very low expectations, especially after the trailer, because I kind of had a, a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth from kind of where Lennon kind of dropped the ball within the Heights in some pretty important aspects. And I don't know, I lived in Southeast Asia for a long time and I have a lot of like Southeast Asian friends. And so when we talked about Raya, a lot of them had, and not a lot of them really liked the movie. And I was just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to keep this low because it's about my country and I don't want to like be disappointed. But when I went into it, I think it was really, really, like the, the part of it that shocked me really the most was the attention to detail. And it was like through, obviously through the food, through all of the dishes that they ate, the arepas, like the arepas in the movie look exactly like my grandma's arepas. Like it's like really spawn on. And like in the movie, I could like point to my sister and be like, they're having um, bandeja paisa. They're having, you know, hot chocolate with cheese in it, which is like a very Colombian thing to do. Um, and then like, it all kind of like, came to fruition in this one amazing scene it's when um oh my god it's at when antonio like kind of gets his powers and then he leaves and then like outside of his room all the cracks start appearing and like she runs into the, the room she's like guys guys everything's happening and then once everyone comes out and sees that there's no cracks abuela's like oh yeah we need to bring the music back and then like her dad kind of plays like a tune and then the music comes back on but that tune is a real song. It's called "In Barranquilla Me Quedo," which is a one of the most important songs in Colombian salsa. It's by Joe Arroyo, which is one of the most important salsa guys of like the history of Colombia. And like me and my sister just like exploded in our seats when they played the initial tune because like it's so recognizable. You know, it's amazing. I saw like TikToks about like the little details that they do. So there was like uh, the song, of course, and I thought that was like so iconic. Also, like the way that. Mirabel like pointed with her lips at one point she did like a little like and it's apparently like a very Colombian facial expression and I thought that was like so cute that they added that in there yeah another thing too was like when um I think it was Mirabel's father he was like Miércoles like a lot of the gestures that they do is like very like very in tune with like Colombian um culture like I am not Colombian but I've gone to um I, I went to visit Bogota once as a as um senior year. So like we like ate a lot of like their cuisines and things like that. And like I know there's like um if you ever read um hundred years of solitude, a lot of people like resonate the movie with the book because the author is like a very famous Colombian author and he's the one that like kind of um pioneered magical realism, which is very like again like very in tune with the film. So it was just like really nice to like see that representation. 
So I just want to say that Jocelyn had to leave for class, but uh, thank you for joining us, Jocelyn, for when you hear this later. Um, also, those, like, I think that with the attention to detail, that speaks to a lot of what we may see in future films that uh, target or try to encompass um, very specific cultures. So that does give me like some hope that, hey, they're listening that to these things, like you're, you're taking the representation, you need to do it as accurately as you possibly can. And like having those minor details in contrast to our first episode where we weren't reviewing films or uh, TV shows that were actually meant to represent our communities, but it was such a harsh, like, people don't act like this, or you shouldn't, or you're only seeing it in a negative light. So this, so what we talked about last, uh, in the last episode that was around the same topic was, what do we want to see in the future? And this encompasses what we want to see. And I really, really hope that we continue to see that and, uh, in movies and films in everyday life where we are fully encompassing these minor details that mean so much to that community. Uh, not to bring it down a little bit, but I know there was some, uh, a little bit of controversy in how, because I know that even some white individuals who watched the movie they're like I didn't like it it wasn't great like you know what I mean like it just specifically just what do you mean you didn't like it it's because you didn't get it or like because you don't want to be on that high horse like on like be like oh you just you don't understand but also you just don't understand it was like one of the better movies that have come out and like I've had friends tell me that and then had to question our friends just a little bit <laughs> but uh yeah so anybody's thoughts on like how outside of our uh, people outside of our communities may have viewed the film and like how that uh resonates with you as well yeah i think i was on tiktok i was on the encanto side of tiktok for some reason and there was just like a lot of outbursts because there was a lot of like white people that like just didn't understand the movie they didn't understand the magic they didn't understand like the like the nuances and niches of it and a lot of people like a lot of latine content creators were just like responding back to them it's like you don't understand the culture you don't understand like where this film is coming from like yeah like the magic just comes out of nowhere but that's because like we're like latine culture overall is very superstitious like i think that goes with like bruno when he's like um knocking and like throwing us like that's like very like super like we're very superstitious and we're, we believe a lot in like magic and like a lot of like those again magical realist elements and i think a lot of this shit just like flew over their head like they just didn't understand and like grasp that a lot of this is just like has to do with the culture and they were making it seem like this movie was more about like sexuality representation rather than like generation ah do you guys know what i'm talking about i don't know if you guys have seen that tiktok discourse where a lot of them are just saying that it's about more about sexuality like but it's not really it's more about like generational trauma and like all that so yeah i actually had this conversation with some of my colombian friends um people like kind of in within white queer circles that they were talking about how abuela was this terrible person because she was like homophobic and like just not accepting but they just it's just they don't understand like that's just how the generational trauma that we have and that's just the way our families like work and that's why it was so good because it was because it was able to reflect that 
accurately. And it's just, it's a lack of context that they have. Like if they don't know what it is, like they're never going to notice that the butterfly in like the vision was from a hundred years of solitude. Like you just need to know. And when you're not a no, you're just not allowed to say stuff. You know, you just, you can't, you're not allowed to like have infinity if you don't know like the background and the context. It's so important. Another thing too is like, in America, in American society, a lot of it's nuclear families. So it's just like the parents and the children. But a lot of us grew up in multi-generational households where we did grow up close to our grandparents and our cousins and aunts, uncles and things like that. So like, we are very much, I, I would say like a more community-based like society. Like we're more like, we care more about our families and like we always prioritize our families. Whereas in American culture, like it's very much like individualized and, um, very much like secluded in that sense. Uh, just to have been on this, because oh my god, sorry, I've also been on the Encanto side of TikTok for about a month now. I still am on the TikTok, but I've seen a lot of those, and I, I'm just astounded by, uh, like, just how many people miss the point. I think pretty much Evelyn and Antonio, you both have hit on this topic, but because, like, in my mind, I, like, my personal philosophy, like, you might agree or disagree, is just, like, if it is not explicitly said, like, if it is not explicitly canon, feel free to theorize. So, like, for, let me be clear, for some of these, like, theories about, you know, sexuality, gender identities, etc., I like I'm like okay that's fine like the movie has never explicitly stated anything about any of this but I I think it's like you have to definitely understand first and foremost what the themes of the movie are and who the actual target audience is because I have definitely had you know a few non-latina friends who've watched the movie and they've absolutely loved it as well because they have gone through some of the same crap of, you know, different family expectations, different pressures, just like having all of these different roles and just kind of family dynamics. They've understood that because they have gone through it. And so because of that, I've noticed that they have definitely loved this movie far more than others that I've talked to. Um, and I, I think that that is always, you know, especially when it comes to movies like this, I think that's always the biggest thing to know. And I think, Antonio, you also hit this on the head perfectly. Like, if you don't know, don't say anything. Like, I, I, like, I love to consume media, and I've seen, like, a wide range of things. I know that for many times, it is not my place to talk about some shit because I have not gone through it. Like, I can't say anything. You know, um, but I think a lot of people just don't understand that. And that's why the internet is making people a little too comfortable sometimes in what they say. Um, but yeah, like, I, again, I think it's just very important to note, like, what the main message is and who that message was meant for, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I, I agree, Omar. And then specifically on the topic of uh, sexual sexuality within the characters, if it's not explicitly said, yes, you can uh, build upon it and see, and also possibly see yourself in it as well, uh, as someone who is a part of the queer community as well. Like there's obviously, there, because you're missing a lot of things and especially of BIPOC uh, LGBT plus characters, you kind of just like want to force it in a little in a little bit of a way. You want to see it, you want to see that representation, and that's something we could build on later. But also, like, it is a possibility. Not to say that it is not. It it shouldn't overshadow the themes of the movie. I think you were talking about that perfectly, Omar. It should not overshadow what is actually going on within the community as well. But if you like to see that and you want to uh, theorize and maybe that's why uh, Isabella didn't want to marry him or like things like that but it shouldn't overshadow and like take away and you shouldn't be because I think the problem with that amongst white uh, queer individuals is that they're telling uh, Latine people no you're wrong no, 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 that is not your place. Like, you can you can theorize all you want. That is not your place to say, no, you're wrong. You don't know about your own culture because that is what the expression that it is it is spewing in that toxic realm. Uh, yes, getting off of that. If anybody has anything to add, please interrupt me. Um, but I also want to, like, pose the question. We can continue on this topic as well, but I want to also pose the question and ask if anybody else's family going off a of generational trauma has seen the movie and what were their thoughts about it because i have some words for that but i want to give it to our guest and to omar as well before uh, i can go ahead so yeah my mom saw it um we um saw it together um i think a lot of it just kind of flew over her head like it wasn't sticking to her like i was kind of laughing because i was like not surprised like i was like i know this is not going to reveal anything major to you um she because like she she was like yeah like value should come from individuality and that was it like she did not go into depth she didn't go into generational trauma she just was like oh yeah like she's like oh like me gustó la película like se trata de esto but she was like she didn't go into the niches and nuances of it and i was like you know what it's okay like i this is, i don't even know how to continue this i was just like whatever <laughs> Uh, kind of going off of that, I watched it with my mom. I've watched it with my sister first, and she got it. I mean, obviously. And then my, I saw it with my mom, and then my two grandparents and my grand uncle, all Colombian, right? And it was kind of the same thing. Like they were just like, "Oh, it was cool." And then like we watched it in Spanish, which, by the way, was really cool because like the doblado was actually with Colombian actors, so you could hear their accents and stuff, which was like pretty cool. But even that went over the heads, like it's Colombian. Why shouldn't it sound Colombian? <laughs> and then like the American, it was like to them, it's more like. It, it's like this exterior perspective. It's like, oh yeah, the Americans think this. This is an American movie. American, American, American. Like this, obviously. Like I'm not going to go into a deeper level than this because it's it's clearly them and not us, you know. So obviously, I mean, it went over their heads. They didn't really develop. <laughs> I'm so glad that this is like the universal like young person experience watching this movie because. Um, so I mentioned I, I watched it in the theaters first with some friends, um, and like from them, all of us got it. But then I told my mom, hey, this is a really, really cool movie. I think you would really like it. So I took her to see it in the theater as well, which again, I should mention, the short, again, from the beginning, Far From the Tree, 
was also about generational trauma. And I feel like it's important to know because my mom mainly speaks Spanish, that short did not have any speaking elements. So it should be universally like recognized because nothing was speaking, no one was speaking. So it's like, you, you have to take it from context too. That's, that's the deal. But then definitely throughout the movie, um, like afterwards, I was like, like, what did you think, mom? Um, and she was just like, era muy, muy bonita película, me gustó mucho. Gracias, mijo, por llevarme. She was just like, yeah, thanks for, thanks for taking me. Really nice movie. And that was it. I was like, mom, mom, come on. Expectations, mental health, <laughs> generational trauma. Come on, you didn't get any of that from this? Because uh, <laughs> I know for a fact that like she, like she's only, Honestly, I think she's like the second to youngest child out of nine. Um, so she's like, she she definitely would not really relate to like Isabella or Luisa or anyone like that. But I definitely think like she, um, speaking about like roles in the family, she is definitely the one that like some of my other family members rely on. Um, it could be because she's like, she, she's very independent. I, I love my mom um, because of that. Um, but I like, I know that she, she at least would have resonated to some degree and maybe she did and just didn't tell me, but I'm just like, mom, did you not have any deeper thoughts about this? Like, please tell me you have some thoughts other than it was a nice movie. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know. But it was just like, it was very funny to me that like out of these, two like different media experiences you you just thought it was nice and cute you know oh my goodness uh to make it four out of four it also went over my parents head <laughs> it, um in a lot of ways in 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 some it like it resonated uh specifically with my mom my mom is not a latina culture he uh, she is of portuguese culture but that same modality of she saw herself in as Mirabella and uh, speaking with Abuela uh, and seeing her as my great grandmother and their relationship. So she was able to catch like those things, but the overall theme of generational trauma and like how that plays out over her head. My dad as well. So my dad, I was talking to him actually yesterday, telling him uh, about uh Oh, I'm going to do a podcast tomorrow about the movie. Uh, have you seen it? Did you watch it with mom? How did it go? Because I didn't watch it with them. And I think also if me and my sister watched it with them or me and uh, my, uh, like all of us, if we all got together, I think it would have changed our perspective a little bit because we are very talkative <laughs> and just like, did you see this? Did you point that? Like me and my siblings would have been like all over it because all of my siblings watched it and I'll go into a little bit later about us asking each other, who did you see? Who am I to you in this movie? Like, who did you see each other? But my dad specifically, he was just, first he goes, well, you know, it was predictable. And I was like, it was predictable. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He was like, well, because also my dad's like not great with his words. And like, he goes, well, I don't want to say it was predictable. He was like, he's like, I just didn't enjoy it. And I was like, you didn't enjoy Like, I'm just like asking questions, like you didn't enjoy it. And then He's like, well, no, I really liked it. It was a really good movie. It just, I think I couldn't watch it. And I was like, yeah, because you lived it. 
dad you're you are the first like you're the firstborn of like he's like and then it clicked he goes oh my god yeah so i think he gets it now but he was like oh yeah you're right i did live it this is this is exactly this is like with grandma da, 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 da. like it just it had to like i had to talk it out with him first but also i don't know if you like really got it because it was over the phone or if he was just like okay moving on i don't want to talk about it <laughs> but like that could also be a thing where like you don't uh because he's not very like open about his feelings and stuff like that and like that makes sense he is uh, uh, it's just not in his wheelhouse and as someone who is very open about their emotions now i wasn't back then but um just going in and talking about it from that perspective and like branching out and connecting it for him he was like he started to get a little bit more and it was just but that first initial take way over their heads didn't didn't catch that <laughs> yeah i don't know i just i kind of feel like if there's anything that Latinos are good at, it's ignoring their own, like, blatant need for self-improvement and also blaming it on others. <laughs> like, because, I don't know, with my parents, they've had many opportunities. I was in a production of In the Heights, and I took them, like, they went to see it, and then they were just like, I didn't like it. It was not, I, you were good, but I didn't like the story. It didn't relate to me, like, blah, 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 blah. Por favor. <laughs> you know, like, it's just like uh, a, a pattern and a repeat of behavior that needs a lot of therapy to, to get fixed. And that's just not something that a lot of people have access to or feel is like legit, you know? Speaking on that as well, I think that's just like, oh my gosh, th this is like getting into even more stuff. But I think it just like feeds into the, the problem, I think, that mental health in i mean basically all bipoc communities but i think like you know within the latina community as well it's just super super taboo to number one talk about your feelings number two like even think about you know thinking about your feelings like actually going through and being like how am i actually feeling about this and then number three, like actually seeking help for those issues. Um, because I know in the past, like I like I've, I've talked to my mom about it, and I'm just like, what if I go to therapy? Like, just just what if, you know? Um, and she was like, Paki. like I, I I don't know if her mentality has changed about that because of the pandemic now. Um, but I'm because she's she is seeing me struggle with my mental health. Um, but like when I was younger, she was just like, okay, like, you're fine, you can talk to me. I'm like, mom, <laughs> mom, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I, I just find it fascinating that mental health in general is not something, you know, that people even want to talk about, much less actually do talk about. Uh, and it's just always been fascinating because now I'm, I'm going to therapy now. Um, I like, which is wild to me. I, I really never thought I would be in therapy. You know, <laughs> imagine that a Latino in therapy. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. But yeah, like, Pastor even, Omar for doing thank that. You, thank Pastor you. Omar. But like, it's been, I, I'm not going to lie. It's been a bit of a nerve wracking experience because 
um, from what I know, I'm the first in my family to even seek out therapy. So it's like, number one, I have run into the problem of, I don't know how to look for these mental health services. I don't know how to pay for it because like, I, like this is all a bunch of stuff that I have been having to figure out on my own. And now that I, I have found a really good therapist for myself, I am still finding trouble, like actually talking to, you know, some of my deeper rooted issues that I, again, have internalized. Like these are things that I have not, you know, talked about with anyone. So now I'm like very, very hesitant. And I, I feel like I'm working up to like actually talking through some of this stuff with him, but I'm just like, listen, I don't know you like that right now. Like, let's just talk about school for the moment. You know, I don't feel comfortable telling you about, you know, my entire life story. Like, my daddy issues, that's a problem for another day, okay? <laughs> you know? Um, and so, but again, like, you, you, you constantly run into these problems, and I feel like that is another thing that I would you know, just kind of thinking to the future, I would very, very much like to see is like, how do we improve access and how do we improve willingness to seek out these mental health services? I went on a whole ass tangent there. I'm sorry. No, I'm just I, like, <laughs> I was just going to say, like, I hope people know, I, I know you guys can't like see us, but like, we're late, basically like agreeing so much with Omar, like with everything that he just said, I feel like daddy issues are just like very universal for some reason. And then I'll just go back to like how men are just horrible. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> um, I was just going to say in regards to like mental health, the person that I thought of, was Tia Peppa because she always has to regulate and control her emotions for to like for the I guess to like help the or not help but basically keep the family because like her 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 gift is like emotions through like weather and so she they're always like oh she's always like clear skies clear skies like she always has to be in like this uh like always has to produce like sunshine and like rainbows and like happy emotions but yeah that's something that I thought about. I actually real quick would love to add to that very quickly because I noticed again during my various watches of the movie most of the time like whenever it's getting a little too extreme it's always been abuela who tells her to control it so when it happened at the dinner table for the proposal scene abuela was like pepa watch the clouds when they were like looking for antonio abuela was like pepa you're you're thundering again and she's like i don't know what you want me to do you know, so it's like, I noticed it's always that way that it's always the other family members, the older family members that are like doing this anyway. Yeah. Just, just keep it inside. Just like, because I think for Peppa's like hers is so, it, it's so outwardly, like you can tell when she's upset. And I think that builds a fear in, in Abuela because she's like, hey, you got to keep it under control. What are you doing? People are going to know. They can see that it's a problem. But also, I'm going to go back to what Omar was saying before in, like, finding a therapist, like, the stigmatization of mental health in uh, Latina communities. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I am eventually going to be a Latina counselor. I'm going to be a therapist. 
I, and the reason that, and I actually talked about this yesterday, uh, I was interviewed for Santa Clara Magazine to talk about mental health and like uh, the counseling department specifically. Thank you. <laughs> but um, Snaps, snaps all around. <laughs> thank you. But uh, so I was talking about it yesterday and uh, one of the questions that got brought up is, why do you do what you do? What led you to this? And I was like, everything led me to this. Like, I want to be that face that I didn't get to have. I knew from a very young age that I needed mental health help. I, but I also knew that I couldn't get it because of financial struggles. I was low income. I was working class. I couldn't, there was no resources within my community because I come from a very conservative part of California. And like, there just wasn't resources to me. And even now I struggle still, where do I go? How do I pay for this? And I'm two years into a grad program where I am surrounded by therapists all the time. And very rarely do I get to see other uh, left-in-a therapists. And even in my classes, I'm very selective about who I pick for my professors because I need to know that they have a background or are an ally or something that proves to me that they can help me and proves to me that they can help someone who's like me who comes into their office. So there is a couple of uh, Latina uh, identifying individuals within my program that I uh, won uh, for one of the classes I'm taking now, but that goes back to how do I get into these resources? How do I do this? Because I don't see anybody that looks like me. And I eventually want that to change and be people and have people see, look, there are all these therapists that I, I have the same identity as me or have very similar issues as me. And then we can go into that branch and then uh, start to decolonize and destigmatize mental health in that way. But yeah, that's a whole other tangent I can go on, but <laughs> we'll let everybody go on to uh, their thoughts and everything about this, and especially Pepe, Pepe and her uh, power. I think something too is like when BIPOC folks do go to white counselors, like the white counselors just don't understand like the cultural context of a lot of things like I saw like this um this like TikTok where it was like this um woman of color and she's like talking about her experience going to like a white counselor and how like the white counselor is like oh just like cut off your family like just leave your family like they're toxic and it's like no you don't understand how like family is a pivotal part of our like social and cultural like life and it's just like a lot like that's why there's like that urgency of like having more bipolar representation with like the mental health like realm and like even here at Santa Clara University with everything that occurred last quarter like we really do need more BIPOC counselors like like even first-gen BIPOC counselors to understand like that first-gen experience and like it's just interesting to like see that whole I guess like dynamic um I really wanted to speak to that because I have like direct like experience with that my father died last year in like October and it was like one of the worst experiences that we have ever had and like through um, some of the programs that he had at his job, he was, we were very lucky he had an excellent job, was like five complimentary sessions with a with a, a therapist, you know, just to talk about the event. And it was also like a car crash, car crash so pretty traumatic. And I had this white guy, dude, and like, this guy, he was like, he was good, he was funny, his name was Dr. Feely, so you know, you'd think that he, you know, would know. But like, and to be honest, he was a pretty good therapist, but like, I did like four sessions and I was just like, this isn't, this isn't doing anything. Like, cause 
he didn't understand all of the implications that that had with the family. You know, like in the middle of the pandemic, the only person who was able to come to the U.S. and kind of help us out was my uncle, which was a whole thing because my grandma, she's like, have she has she's like on she has like lung emphysema because she smoked her whole life, so she can't get on a plane anymore, and that's just like so many things that happen. And even today, we're still dealing with a lot of like the fam- family implications that that change and like kind of a side note the only way that i was able to get therapy was because my father died like i had been asking my family to go through therapists for many years and they they met me with the same response as omar's like Para que? Uh, you can talk to me you can talk to your family you can talk to your sister and it just doesn't it like to, it's really sad my father had to die for me to go be able to go to therapy you know and now i'm with a colombian therapist which is really really lucky and it's kind of a combination of factors a with when my dad died there went our health insurance so she's the only one we can afford it's like she actually lives in Colombia, so it's a lot more affordable but i guess the plus side of that is that she is Colombian and she understands all of the family things and what happens and yeah it's crazy well antonio i'm gonna acknowledge uh, just i'm so sorry for your loss and i'm sorry that that extreme had to go into why you were able to get help and get therapy when you've been like when it's just so look look down in our and like it makes sense as to why it's looked down especially in BIPOC communities because it's just a history of being tortured and abused and being thought of as lesser than than human like psychology itself is still working over all the negative like putting people in asylums just because they didn't think the way you wanted them to think and like that we are still coming off of all of that um and also I'm glad that you have a therapist that understands background and then because that was another question that got brought up yesterday was can white therapists serve BIPOC communities? And I was like, they can if they do the work, if they're willing to learn and not rely solely on their client to tell them what they need and tell them about their culture. And like, you just, you need to be working towards it. And I think that's a problem that we see now is that people think they know everything and they have a very westernized view of everything so they don't take those into consideration and they don't even think to like even in some classes i have professors where i'm like hey maybe think about about it in a financial base in a background base in like are you're not considering this and then some are like really like i have been asked by professors like how do i do better and i'm like that's not for me to answer you <laughs> you have to like that you can't put that solely on me because that's also another problem is that when you're like, I want to be better, how do I do that? But you have to, but you can't place it all on that person to educate you. You have to do the work yourself. And like, I can point you to resources and stuff like that. But uh, other ones are just like, yeah, yeah, that's good. Consider that as well. And then move on to the next step. And I think that's, uh, especially within my program at Santa Clara, as people who I'm seeing who are going to be my future colleagues and therapists, there is a lot of uh, first gen uh, therapists coming in. There are a lot of Latina. There are a lot from a, a diverse background that are all my friends now. So it's made me hopeful for the future, but also present day, we need to do something about that because it can't be just at the very last second, you need help. So this is how we're going to do it because you experienced something so traumatic. That's the wrong time to implement therapy if they've been, if they need it beforehand. But yeah, I can, once again, soapbox, but yeah, it just, that's a lot of 
problems that come, that I see within the mental health aspect and also with <laughs> understanding why a lot of communities don't trust it as well. The internet exists. You can learn so much from it on how to better help communities. It's, it's there. You don't have to rely on people. <laughs> Um, since we are running uh, kind of near the end of uh, time here, does anyone have any like final thoughts on the movie or anything that we might have uh, talked about today? I don't know why, but I did love the movie, but I felt like it was very short. Like, did you guys also feel that way? Like when I watched it, I was like, that's it? That's the end? That was, like, so quick. Um, I'm just scared that they're going to keep reaping. Like, I'm scared that production companies are going to continue just to, like, fat, like create, like, really quick movies about representation. Um, like, I, because I, I know, like, Coco was, like, kind of, like, the first Latine one. And, like, that was, like, a huge box office success. And, like, that's how they were able to do Encanto because, like, of, like, what? Coco, like the reception of Coco and like things like that so I'm just scared that this is just going to be like is going to like become a trend essentially where it's like just like fast producing like these movies for like representation purposes but I don't know that's like one thing like that's like one critique I will say like moving forward is like hopefully this is this doesn't become a habit where they're just like reaping money and another thing too is like in Coco like it was based on a family and like they net like Pixar and Disney never paid this family like recompensation despite like the huge box office success um they never like gave this money like the family um money so hopefully when they were doing their research for Encanto like they weren't like exploiting people if that makes sense so hopefully this doesn't become like a practice like a continued practice I don't know I think I, I I've definitely noticed that that you're saying like as kind of the trend I feel like you can see it happen. Like, I feel like they're just checking the boxes, right? They're going to, like, okay, first... Okay, I mean, I feel like the first representation movie was definitely, like, Black Panther. I think that was one of the first ones that kind of really showed us, like, hey, if you, you know, acknowledge this community and talk about them, then you can really do something cool. And now they're just kind of going down the list. They're like, okay, Mexicans, and then, right? you got Colombians, and then with Riot, you got Asians, and then, like, Crazy Rich Asians, too, I feel like was kind of a part of that as well. Um... But yeah, I don't know. It's it, it, def it definitely feels like they're checking a box, and it's what you were talking about earlier with capitalism. Like, there's no capitalism without exploitation, and so that even though they do a really like they did a really good job with this one, and it's like really nice. Like at the end of the day, that is what it is, you know, and that's important to consider when you're watching this. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's really interesting to hear you both kind of talk about that as like it being a trend because I've definitely noticed it too um and kind of also you know expanding on our previous episode of you know just representation in media I <clears throat> I feel like now that we are in 2022 like we can look back on a full year I think 2021 was I, I don't know what the right word for it is. I was about to say incredible, but I don't know if that's the right term. But it's just like, I, I started noticing that I think especially since near the second half of the year is when theaters more so started opening up. Like we saw 
in the Heights, which is like one of the like biggest, number one biggest Broadway musicals. And then also one of the biggest movies of 2021. And it heavily featured Latina people. Granted, it does have its problems of anti-Blackness amongst other things, um, which is important to know, but like, it's also very interesting that like, we got that one, we have, Shang-Chi, um, The Legend of the Ten Rings from Marvel, which is the first Asian superhero that we've seen. We've also gotten Eternals from Marvel, which is, like, just interesting to think about, because it's, like, number one, the diversity of the cast, and then also, like, it's the first openly gay, um, openly gay superhero that, like, is explicitly openly gay, and, like, we see them in a relationship with, with someone else. Um, and so there's that, and then we're like kind of rounding it out with Incan. But we also had Miles Morales. I was that 2021. But either way, like we're we're getting so many of these things. At the very least, the next um, what's it called? The next into the Spider-Verse movie was announced in 2021. I don't know if that counts. But like, yeah, we're I, I feel like we're starting to get this boom. But like it's also, I, I just very much hope, like, kind of seeking to what you both were saying, I just hope that it keeps going because I have, I'm always fearful because we, we keep getting, honestly, some flops. Like Antonio, you mentioned um, Raya and the, the Last Dragon from Disney, which was, I, I don't know if I'd call it a flop, but it's like, there, there's definitely some mixed reviews about that one. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of just interested to see, you know, going forward, how like media progresses towards trying to increase this representation. I think Encanto is just the latest version. And I, like, I again, I enjoyed it. I, I was pleasantly surprised about how, like, good of a movie it was. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just very interesting to see going into the future how maybe representation is done and also like how some of the themes from different communities are um, portrayed, if that makes any sense. Yeah, to kind of round it all out, uh, Evelyn, your point of how short the movie was, I also was like, also, I think there's only eight songs, right? It's one of the shorter for a Disney movie. Let me double check, because I was listening to the uh, Spotify, I was listening to it on Spotify before we came in today, and, okay, they have more listed that are probably played in, like, uh, the credits, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, there's only seven in the movie, and, like, that's just, it, that, as, as a Disney movie, when Disney heavily involves music in, the, in a lot of their films, just points to how, uh, where was I going with that? Uh, how short the movie was. I don't know if they were just like, we we put so much into it. And then they're like, okay, we ran out of stuff. What do we do now? Like, I don't know if that was like the sort of like reason for it or if they just felt like they could tell the story in a little way. But at some point, I think it did kind of feel abrupt in how it ended. And like, I, I kind of wanted to see a little bit more of like, talking to Bruno when he comes back, talking to, like, talking to the, because I feel like the triplets didn't get that, that, the needed, like, 
talk that ne that they needed. Like, I'm glad it happened for Mirabel and Abuela, but the immediate kids didn't get to talk about that and how growing up with a, without a father and like how that may have impacted them as well, losing their father and growing up with a single mother and like having these roles. I feel like there could have been a lot more, but I also don't want it to be like, oh, part two, part three. Like, I don't want that because it, at some point they're going to mess it up and they're going to just continue to exploit. Uh, and like Antonio said and what Evelyn was uh getting to earlier, there is no capitalism without exploitation, but I want them, but as much as I want the representation, I want them to do it as ethically as possible to do so, so that we still get that content, but no one is being uh, used to get that content for a mass audience, you know what I mean? Like those sort of things. But yeah, uh, like I said, I also enjoyed the film, but there is a lot of things that we need to be keen on and point out and uh, also look to for the future and how we consume the media that we do. Um, any final thoughts, anything you wanna say that you're doing or like any clubs you're a part of, like any sort of like hyping up for that sort of stuff or just like hyping your own Instagram, I don't know, whatever you wanna do. <laughs> Um, real quick, the music is really good, though. I will say that about Canto. The, like, Lin-Manuel, like, he killed it on this one. Um, like, having, like, Colombian artists like Carlos Vives and Sebastián Yatra, like, I think that was really essential. So, um, enough of that. Um, so, yeah, I'm involved. Me and Omar are actually both involved in the Multicultural Center. So, come out and check us out and, like, visit us. I know tomorrow, uh, today, actually, we're having a talk about, like, anti-Blackness within, like, other communities of color. So, like, come out and check it out. Um, yeah, I, I don't know anything. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, I did have one more thing I wanted to comment on. Kind of a negative, but like whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, there was one thing that I think bothered me a little bit. It was about kind of the cast, how Stephanie Beatrice was kind of playing Mirabel. And Stephanie Beatrice, like, don't get me wrong, freaking phenomenal actress, like amazing in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I really hope for the best for her. Like, she's literally one of the lit Latina goat, like, actresses that there exists right now. But she's not Colombian. Like, and that's just a fact. And that's the lead in the production. And then there's also, like, a long history of, like, white Argentinians kind of taking over a lot of Latin roles just because they are one of the wider countries in Latin America. And yeah. And also kind of towards Sebastián Yatra and Carlos Villas, like really cool artists, but there's a lot of Afro-Colombian artists that they could have used. Like Chucky Town, like the list exactly. goes on. And like Herencia Timbiqui, like a lot of those are like a lot more like core Colombian artists instead of like just reggaeton kind of stuff, uh, which by the way is awesome. But like just more core things and then they know? had maluma too and like yeah. having like these white colombians yeah so like, yeah yeah for sure um but yeah a really a pleasure to talk to you guys i had a great time fantastic yeah well thank you both or i guess all three of you we, we saw uh jocelyn who again had to leave a little bit early uh but yeah thank you so much for for coming on to talk um very much enjoyed it i think uh, this was, I, I just love Encanto, so I, I love, like, just getting the opportunity to talk about the movie. Um, but yeah, like, I, I love just hearing all of your, your takes, um, hearing your experiences. It's very much appreciated, and I, I think it just, like, adds to, you know, kind of cultural relevance, you could say, um, that the movie has on, on the world today. But 
Yeah, that's that's all I've got, Nissa. Um, yeah, I want to also thank our guests for coming on today. It is so great to have that representation and have uh, people talk about their thoughts on it and uh, what is what was great about it, and also the very real critiques of it. Um, in addition, I what is there to promote on RC and OML sides? Uh, I know that tonight we have a 3D. Um, of course, this will probably not come out until maybe Monday. <laughs> so it will probably like not be talked about, but uh, just stay in touch with our Instagram, our uh, Facebook page, if, you know, if you're on Facebook, but um, just check out our events. We're always uh, coming in, uh, promoting different things. Nothing to report as of right now, but once again, this has been the first episode of the new quarter uh, for Word on the Street podcast. Thank you, everybody who joined us today.